So we're going to turn, I, I just want to read the text right away. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. <coughs> and I'm going to read that right now. It's a warning against false teachers. It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is, the love, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. What we do as rest at Restoration Road is we go through books of the Bible. And what we preach to them, it's expository preaching. And what that allows us to do, it doesn't allow us to skip any of the word of God and do cafeteria Christianity and just say, okay, I'm going to preach this text because everyone's going to love this one. Then skip to the next one because everyone's going to love that one. This one, I would say, is a hard text. You know, my... Ascending church, the pastor would call it, this is a space clearer. You know, if you need space in your church, preach on this, they say, because it's a hard text. Because if you're not a committed follower of Jesus, that's like we talked about last week, that wants to put yourself under authority of Jesus, you might p push back on this and start to make God in your image instead of what's revealed in Scripture. So what I want to exhort everyone today is, very tough passage. Please hear the character of God is far more loving and compassionate than we are. And I want us to seek as disciples of Jesus to come under the teaching of Jesus and really allow our hearts to be molded and discipled by the words of the Holy Spirit here. Because there's many false teachers out there today. There's ne never been more false teachers, false preachers, false pastors in the history of, of our existence in the world, in history. Um, and now they have more ways to get it out too with the internet, with social media, with TV. Now you can take your false gospel and you can have charisma, you can have the personality, you can have the followers, and you can deceive many just because you have those things. And if you don't have a sharp eye or sharp ear, you can hear some things from Scripture and say, this guy's good, this guy's positive, he's solid. And if you don't know what to look for, you can be deceived yourself. And what mature disciples of Jesus do is they have an eye and an ear to discern for false teachers. So I want you to be learning that today. How do I identify a false teacher? What am I looking for? What is the law supposed to be used for rightly? And what is lawless? How do I understand what is lawless? Um, because we're a church that recently on church, many people come in and really don't even know what's sin. And that's okay. You shouldn't. And just being a pastor, let me tell you, a lot of churches are not preaching what's lawless. What's happening is the enemy is masterful, masterful. It's been genius what he's done because he's actually had False preachers, false pastors call sin, holiness, and celebrate it. And it's pulled many 
away. Many loving people and many people even in the culture of churches, even when the pastor's preaching, under the surface say, well, I don't really believe that. And they push a philosophy that's anti-gospel. And what I won't want you to do is push a philosophy that's anti-gospel. My job is to make sure you guys are equipped with the truth. And of course, you guys make your decisions from there and you stand before God. But my job and Dave's job is to present the truth to you as according to the word of God. And each person has a right to make their own decision. And each person will stand before God. But I, what I want you to know is there's people out there. It says in the latter days, in the end times, people will put people in their pulpits that, that will preach things for their itching ears. Like, pastor, tell me what I want to hear. Pastor, tell me that's okay. Pastor, tell me there's nothing wrong with it. Pastor, tell me the person I love that's doing this. Tell me they're not in sin. And it says that there are more and more in the pulpits, in the churches, everywhere, raise up men that will speak what the people want to hear, even if it's sinful, because they're searching for the praise of man. Those are the false preachers. What I want us to be are people that come under the authority of Jesus because he's the most loving being there ever will be and say, Jesus, you're more loving than me. I'm having trouble understanding this, but I'm coming as a disciple of Jesus under your authority and under your love, and I'm not going to be anti-gospel. Does that make sense to everybody? So someone gave me a book, one of my friends, years ago, and it was a Christian author. He was, like, becoming very prominent, he was young, he was charismatic, great writer. Outside the book, I was like, man, this looks cool, man. I put it down on the weekend. Like, I just read the whole thing in one weekend. And at the beginning, I'm like, this is, guy, he, this is a great guy. He's contextualizing Christianity. He's doing awesome. But I started seeing some red flags pop up. It got me concerned. About seven pa- 70 pages in, he asked this question. He said, would it really, it was a rhetorical question. He said, would it really mess up the Christian faith if there was no virgin birth? And I said, hold on one second. <laughs> I had to put the book down, walk around the kitchen a little bit. Like, what are you talking about? Of course it would mess up. That's part of the foundation of our faith. So I saw that red flag. I said, wow, this is really clouded because this guy's saying great things. But then he comes in with a heavy hit of thing like that. My radar better go off as a disciple of Jesus if that starts coming out. Then he got to a scripture that talked about Jesus as judge. And he took out Jesus as judge in the scripture and, and reframed uh, it. And I said, hold on one second, brother. Why are you doing this to me? You can't take, you can't take Jesus as judge out of scripture. But he didn't want people to see Jesus as judge because he, he was misconstruing the law. So he's putting these little subversive things. Then I saw him teaching. So it's one thing to be friendly with other religious leaders, one thing to love other religious leaders. We should always love everyone. We're called to love our enemy. We should be kind and make peace and honor everyone. But this man actually started teaching with other religious leaders who don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, they might say he's a prophet. They might say he was a good teacher. They might not have anything bad to say, but he started teaching with these guys like there was no difference. And I said, (laughs) come on, time out, time out. This is smelling false. This don't taste right. This doesn't look right. And I want you to be equipped here. Because more than ever in the next 50 years, you're going to have to teach your children. They're going to have to teach their children that you have to keep your eyes ready, your ears ready. Know what is false and know what is true because the enemy's never had a stronger grip, grip to pervert the gospel. 
And there's some people who are going to stand before God and their pastors have been telling them this is all right and that's all right. And they're going to have a rude awakening because their pastors didn't love them. They love their praise. They love their paycheck. They love their stability. They love the comfort. They love their followers on Twitter. They like being called rabbi, priest, pastor, reverend. They love that stuff more than they love the people. But like Isaiah said, there's no blood on my hands. I've told the whole counsel of God and people make their choice from there. I love you guys too much. Like Joe says, you've got to preach a black and white gospel. Don't stop making it gray. There's a little Vex saying, you know, I put them up on Facebook once and I, for your pleasure. So today we're going to tackle that. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to wrestle with what does the scripture say? We know that what we said, Apostle Paul is writing these words, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the very word of God. And what Apostle Paul did, the first thing I want to hear as a mature disciple, we need to know and identify a false teacher. Let's start there. In Acts, actually in Acts 20, 28 through 30, five years before he wrote this, the Apostle Paul said, be careful to the elders that were going to be at Ephesus. He said, fierce wolves are going to come in among you. And they're going to teach things that are twisted and teach things that are contrary to sound doctrine. Now, this is five years. Now, Jesus was just right. You think, because it's close to when Jesus died and rose again, all that kind of stuff, that people would be fresh. Like, you wouldn't have to. He said, in five years, wolves are going to come among you. Be on guard. He said, they're going to twist things, and they're going to draw disciples away. And that's what a false gospel does. The guy I just told you about who wrote that book, do you know he came out with a heretical book that there's no hell, and he said all kind of immorality that the Bible says is wrong is right? Do you know he packs out places? He just goes around the world and packs places out with people listening to his false gospel. And many disciples have been drawn away by him. I don't want us to be drawn away by men who preach false gospels. Every church has to be on the lookout for false teachers. I believe that's why in the book of Timothy, what does Paul do through the whole book? He says, this is sound doctrine. This is how the church functions. This is what you should preach. This is the gospel you're entrusted to. You've got to guard it with everything you are. He's telling Timothy, this is how you treat each other. This is how you, all the stuff. This is who pastors and deacons should, should be. He's given the character of pastors because he doesn't want false pastors in your pulpit. And he doesn't want deacons that have character problems because that all can bring away from the gospel. You know, um, the two things they say is that these false teachers were teaching mythology and endless genealogy. So some theologians would say, and I tend to agree, that these men were going around and teaching stuff that was an extra-biblical source of authority, meaning like the Book of Jubilee, where the Book of Jubilee gives periods called the Lesser Genesis. It's not in the canon of scriptures. Of scripture, it has periods of 49 years and it gives account of like Adam's kids and their names and says Moses got it from angels and all that stuff. But there's a reason it didn't get into the Bible because people didn't fully believe the leaders that it was written by Moses and it was written by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but these men were using this Bible as authority and they were getting people involved in vain discussion. Have you ever been in church in just vain discussion? Like who was Mel- Melchizedek? That's not as vain. But a whole class, 50 hours of the week, just who's Melchizedek? And what's end times? Like, like, I'm for the end times, but there's brothers that dedicate them life to like, did you see that on TV? It's almost over, brother. And you're like, I can't talk about this 
for the next 70 hours. Because you know what? If it's almost over, we should be out preaching the gospel, not collecting spring water in the basement. If you really believe it's almost over, you better be in the streets, brother. Because Jesus said it's coming soon so you get to work. No knows you bought a bunker in Maine just to hide from it. Do you know what I'm saying? That's a little sidetrack. But I'm saying vain discussion is everywhere. What's these genealogies? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And when it's not aimed at love and bringing people to the gospel, it takes away. Yes, we should study eschatology. Yes, we should learn about the end times. Yes, but when we make those things priority over advancing the gospel, we're not getting the gospel. But what these men were doing were taking Bible books that weren't even the, from the Bible, and they were teaching them and fighting about them and having vain discussion. And he said they're causing division. You ever talk with people about vain discussion? You ever see everyone get along? You're just like, Get me, don't drag me into this, brother. I'm so sick of this. We're doing this again. These false teachers were bringing so much division and preaching. Hear this, extra biblical source of authority. I'll just give an example of who does that modern day. The Mormons. You ever see the Mormons? Hear of the Mormons? All that kind of stuff? If you don't have a close eye, you will be deceived and think that the Mormons are actually Christians if you don't have a close eye. But what you don't realize is a guy, Joseph Smith Jr., he claims to be visited by an angel called Moroni that gave him the Book of Mormon on gold plates. And they used that Book of Mormon, of course. He claims that Moroni took the plates that the whole book was written on back to heaven so no one could really claim it. That's how cults roll. He claims that book was given as authority. You know the Mormons teach that on the same level as the Bible. The Bible and the Book of Mormon, along with the Pearl of Great Price and the Covenant of Disciple and all those kind of things. Let me tell you what that, that Book of Mormon teaches. It teaches, it denies the Trinity. It says Satan is Jesus' brother. talks about the preexistence of soul and said that God was once a man, like before, not became a man before. Now, if you don't understand the differences, you're going to say, we all believe in Jesus. Get over here, brother. We're awesome. Now, love everyone. But if you don't understand, Mormons are denying the Trinity and saying Satan is Jesus' brother, and that contradicts the whole Bible, then your eyes won't be open for false teachers if you don't know your word. So lesson number one in false teachers, they use extra biblical source of authority. And here are some helpful rules when you're trying to identify a cult. If you want to identify a cult, here you go. They claim an extra scriptural source of authority. This is by Anthony Hokima, tremendously helpful. The denial of justification by faith alone. The devaluation of Jesus Christ and his uniqueness. You ever have people when you ask them about their faith and they say, oh, we believe it. You have to believe in Jesus. He's a, he was here. It's a historical figure. Everyone believes in Jesus. The question is, do you believe he's the son of God who was sinless, who died, who rose again, who's coming back again? Every faith believes in Jesus and has a viewpoint of Jesus. But if you devalue him and say he's not the second person of the Trinity and not divine, then you're, you're a part of false teaching. Do you guys hear this? And they say they're the group of exclusive community of the saved. You ever have the Jehovah Witnesses? They come up and you're still in your pajamas and you're like, you've got to be kidding me. It's Saturday morning. 
the Jehovah Witnesses originally said they were part of the original saved 144,000, but the whole plan went out the window when they grew more than 144,000 and they changed the doctrine. What they were saying in Revelation, they were misinterpreting Revelation, they said, we're the 144,000. But then they went over and, of course, the leaders changed it. But they were saying, we're exclusively the saved. Instead of saying, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, anyone who believes Jesus is who he says he is, is saved by the grace of God. Amen. That's a beautiful thing. We don't got exclusive. Yeah, Restoration Road, we are the only saved in Massachusetts. You have lost your mind if you start saying these things. But that's what they do in cults. Lesson two on false teachers. They will add to the law their own convictions and practices. If you look at 4 Timothy 4.3, 1 Timothy 4.3, they say that they, these false teachers were forbidding marriage and they were forbidding to eat certain things. So if you say the gospel plus you can't get married, that's a false gospel. If you say the gospel plus you can't eat tortillas, that's a false gospel. If you start throwing certain foods on there because the gospel doesn't do it, it's a false gospel. All false teachers add to the law. Many times their own convictions and many times things to deceive people and control people. Now, when I say that, what's the first thing you think of when you think of forbidden to be married? What in our culture, where do they forbid men to get married? Do I even need to say it? The Catholic Church, who said it? Seahawks fan. She's still getting disciplined by the church. Listen, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. There's a lot of Catholic people who love Jesus, but there's a lot of stuff in the Catholic Church that is false teaching. And one of them is, there's nothing in Scripture that says a man who is ministering to people God can't get married. Actually, I recommend it. Nothing in all of Scripture that says a man couldn't get married. So you have all these priests committing their life to something that's not even the authority of Scripture. Many would argue it's rooted years ago because if the priest got married, the land went to the priest. So they said they got to stay single so it all goes to the Catholic Church. And look, a lot of stuff's rooted in money, guys. So you've got you to look deeper into those things. But when God created the earth and he created everything, he said everything is good. The animals, the days, the sun, the sky, the galaxies. He declared everything good. Do you know the one thing he said wasn't good? For man to be alone. So what would false teaching come in and do? The very people who are supposed to be the examples of how to follow Jesus, that you have to live your whole life alone. Now, if you have the gift of celibacy like Paul, I don't have that gift. I haven't seen that gift. If you're like Paul and you have the gift of celibacy, awesome. But even Paul didn't say everyone. He said, if you burn with passion, get married. So that's how you see false teaching control people's lives. And to the detriment, I would argue, with many. So you see that. How do you identify false teaching? And I want to be clear here, because you know we never knock the Catholic Church. But I will say when the teaching is not healthy here. There's a lot of people who love Jesus, will be in heaven, will see him. And there's not going to be a Catholic section and a Restoration Road section. They're going to be people who love Jesus and serve Jesus and did the best they could by the grace of God. So we got those things. Number one, a mature person can identify a false teacher. Second, because what false teachers do is they use the law wrong. You, do you guys know the right use of the law? So if you're using the law every week to make yourself feel condemned, then you're using the, wrong, the, the law wrong. So... What we should do is do our best by the grace of God to obey God's commandments. 
But what you realize with me and you every week is that we fall short. Amen? So if you're using the law in the way to make you feel bad, you can find a way to feel bad for the rest of your life. Now, this is the first thing I want you to hear. I want you to love the law like David loved the law, like I read in Psalm 119. Did any of you just sit in bed and say, man, I love the law. Blowing my mind tonight. The law's so good, man. I love following. Makes me wise. Do you guys do that? Or do you say, you've got to be kidding me. So sick of trying to live like this. You have to cultivate a heart where you actually love the law because you know it's the benefit of your soul because Jesus laid out the law that we might follow the law. So let's start here. I want you these three ways to use the law right. And there's so much maturity on this. The law is used right when it causes us to despair and drives us to the gospel. The law is fantastic when it brings you to your knees. So for example, I want to read a few things from, uh, from Jesus and see how you feel about it after. You know, because I was watching Family Feud, and I'm a little upset with Family Feud. It's getting a little too di- dirty to be called Family Feud. Has anyone seen this pattern with these questions? That ain't right. It wasn't like that when I was growing up. I'm turning into one of those old guys. But they asked him, how many of the Ten Commandments have you broken in the last month? We've asked 100 people in a survey. What do you? And the lady said, in my mind, I said, 10, but I'm a pastor. <laughs> so I think, you know, I understand sin and how it's attitude, thought, heart. It's not just doing. And she said, seven. And Steve Harvey was like, seven? You sinner. What are you doing that you break seven commandments in one month? He fails to understand what true sin in and breaking the law is. Like Jesus, you had the Ten Commandments. Jesus came in, and everyone thinks, well, Jesus relaxed it. Jesus took it to another level. And let me read this to you for you. For example, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And anyone who calls someone a fool is liable to hell. Sign Jesus. Next. Furthermore, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. Sign Jesus. I'm going to do it again. Everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, causes us not only causes not only his divorced wife to sin, but he himself lives in sexual immorality. Jesus. Now, what the law should have did to all of us, it just caused us to despair. You must say, man, I'm in trouble. Man, the fear of God just came over you. Man, I am guilty. Man, I've fallen short. And what does that do when you use the law that way? You get to your knees. You say, God, I don't have what it takes. I've fallen short. And then that's where the glorious news of the gospel, where Jesus didn't fall short, comes so much glorious more glorious, and you worship Jesus, and you understand the gospel, amen? That's what the law does. If you look at the law and say, I can pull this off, brother. I, got, got, I might have trouble with nine, but I think I can make it. Like, if you're that self-righteous, if you have that bad of an assessment of your strength, then you're not understanding the law. The law should constantly say, I'm not worthy. I can't make it. I don't deserve it. And that's why the gospel is so good. Can I get another Amen. I'm sorry, guys, I'm amening today. But really, 
You're using the gospel right, the law right, when it's making you feel destitute and you're filling that hole with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's number Number one, the law is used right. Law protects the community. Laws and rules are instituted to protect the community. We do not steal because you are taking from, to someone else's detriment. You don't murder because when you murder someone, you not only take their life, but you take so, them away from their family and you hurt your conscience like unbelievable. It protects the community. You not covet your neighbor's wife because when you covet your neighbor's wife, you not only sin in that manner, but you devalue your own wife and you're ungrateful for your own wife, and you don't show affections to your own wife in the same way you should. And you know how many wars have been raised um, and how many uh, churches have been split because of men having affairs with other women and covenant other women, coveting other women? You don't do that because when we love our wives, when we're grateful for our wives, when we serve our wives, when we lead our lives, when we provide for our wives, we protect the community from brokenness and from pain and from harm. That's why it's so serious. But what have false teachers taught you now? Nothing wrong with checking somebody out, right? Drive around that lake. You better be repenting. (laughs) We protect the community when we keep the law, and that's why David loves it. He loves it because he's saying, I'm keeping this law. I'm protecting my family. There's nothing better as a father, a brother, a mother, an uncle to say, I'm keeping this law to the good of my family. I'm protecting my people. Finally, it teaches us God's will and exhorts us to do it. Anyone who loves God in peace wants to know the will of God so they can do it. Mature disciples don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. They love God so much they don't want to do things. Tell me the law so I don't break it because I don't want to grieve the God I love. We do that in relationships. Tell me what hurts you so I don't do it because I don't want to hurt you. It's the same with God. I want to know his law so I can follow it, so I can do it by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. You know, King Josiah, one of my favorite stories, he was the youngest king to come to the throne. They couldn't find the law at the time, the word of God. And what happened is someone found it in the temple. And when Josiah read that law at the king, as the king, it says, never before in all of scripture did someone turn with their whole heart to follow the law of God. It's like he didn't know the law, then he heard the law. He said, I'm following all my heart. And I think, I understand. When I look out here, I don't say, man, this person knows it. And this. I look out and I realize there's a lot of people that don't know what the law is. I sit down with people and I tell them, porn is a sin. They're like, what? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Pornography is sin. Dude, talking about, I never heard that before. Because you haven't been in church, brother. And because your preachers don't preach that because it doesn't help the offering. I know many of you don't, have never heard these things before. You've never heard that sexual, that you shouldn't be having sex before marriage. It's like, I never heard that in church before. Where'd you get that from? From Jesus. You never heard that porn was wrong. Where'd you get that from? You guys just heard it. If you lust in your heart, if you lust in your heart, you've committed the sin. So what I want you guys to hear today, I want you to have the heart of Josiah like, no, okay, well, I need about three more years of sin and I think I'll be good. I want you to say, this is God's law. I love it. I want to turn my whole heart and give my life all in in every aspect of Jesus because this is for my good. This is for my good. You know, the big one that's hit everyone's mind in our culture because the enemy has done a masterful job is everyone, when I read that scripture, 
what does it say? The practice of homosexuality, right? And I was like, oh, shoot, I should have come next week. What I want to do with that is I want to give you a simple answer on this question when you're asked. So if you ask me as a pastor, is homosexuality a sin? I want to say, yes, it is. Scripture says it. It's peppered throughout the whole Bible. But what I want to do for wisdom is love is at the missional community, we're going to unpack that a little bit more so there's more area to ask questions, to give context, to really, with wisdom, walk people through why homosexuality is sin and what does it look like. Because I'm not against, and I don't want to unpack too much, I think, there should, I think gay people should have rights. Because I don't believe in a theocracy. You can't make everyone follow Jesus. You can't do that. I don't believe in theocracy. Theocracies have hurt the world because you can get a lot of people on the outside who look like they're following Jesus. On the inside, they're poison. People have to come with their whole heart to God, and everyone has a right to live their life the way they want to live it. We can't demand our Christian principles on people. You can't do that. So every person has a right, whether they are Christian or not, to live their life the way they want to in the constraints of the law. Now, when you come into a church, Jesus says we're called to live a certain way and holy. So I can never say homosexuality is okay because it's an absolute sin before God. Just like fornication is an absolute sin against God. Just like adultery is an absolute sin of God. You know in here, we have fornicators in here. We have adulterers in here. We have people who struggle with homosexuality. And we've loved you, and you know that. But what we can't do is celebrate it because that's anti-gospel. That's anti-gospel. But we will love everyone. Everyone's welcome in these doors. But we can't go anti-gospel in order to appease people because then we don't love people. Then we don't truly love people. We're people pleasers and the enemy has deceived us like he's deceived many. You know, I was sitting down at a table at a wedding recently and there was a guy there. He was a great guy, a nice guy. And he's like, we go to a um, liberal church in Saugus. And when I say liberal, you know I don't get political, so don't drag me in there. I mean liberal, free, theological, all that kind of stuff. He said, we roll like that. I said, okay, man, that's cool. He says, it's great. And I said, okay. So I went online and I checked it out in Saugus. They had a big symbol that had a rainbow on it, a homosexual rainbow, and it said God is still speaking. So right away I said, okay, Wow. Wow, I've never understood why, why people put rainbows on church. I do understand it, but to mark a church by a sexual practice never made sense to me when it comes to a church anyways. I just never got that. I understand what they're doing, but when you look at it philosophically, I just don't understand why you'd mark a whole church by someone's sexual practice. So right away says, God is still speaking. Then I looked quick because you've got to identify false teachers. I looked in, I saw that, you've got a big red flag. I want you guys to, to be on guard against that because that's going to happen all over New England. That's going to happen all over New England. And if you don't have a sharp eye, you will, you will fall prey to that because the people, some people seem so loving and so caring. And I wouldn't argue that there's loving and caring people in some of these churches. Then I, I read that this, this, this person, this leader, this pastor practiced a Buddhist practice of healing. It says she loves teaching the Bible and she loves doing, I think it's called Reiki or something like that. It's a Buddhist act of healing. It's a, and she was having healing circles with, that's found in Buddhism. And I said... What is going on here? That a, it's outside, you say, this is a Christian church. But as you get inside and you look for red flags, you see a celebration of something that the Apostle Paul and Jesus is calling sin, and you see a practice of Buddhism, a Buddhism of a healing practice that is not taught to do in the Scriptures. If you don't have a keen eye, you will not realize that there's a lot of false teaching and false preachings going on in that church. And that's happening all over the place. 
That's happening when you look at YouTube. That's happening when you look all around on social media. What I want you guys to see is just because something has a label. Listen, I can have a Pepsi and put gasoline in there. And I don't care how good it looks on the outside. When you drink, that's going to hurt you in the long run. There's a lot of churches that have the cross on it. But when you get to the teachers, they are anti-gospel. There's a lot of preachers. This is why they're called wolves in sheep's clothing. They look kind. They're the most loving. They're wearing like silk. They're just nice. They talk soft. This is so good. I love my faith. Like all the stuff. You're like, they're so awesome. Then they speak and you realize it's anti-gospel. You need to run away from that kind of teaching. Love those people. We love everyone. But you need to identify that. And finally, anyone else that teaches a a gospel that's not rooted in grace and rooted in Jesus and rooted in the scripture is false. By the grace of God, we are not perfect here. We are not exclusive community of the saved. By the grace of God, we have a simple understanding of the Bible and the gospel that blows our mind. That God was so loving that he sent his only son to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death. To be punished for our sins that we deserve in our place. To die, to defeat Satan's sin and death, to rise again on three days. So that everyone who believes in him could have eternal life, life here and life in the next. Anyone who preaches anything contrary to that is not preaching the gospel. So Restoration Road, disciples of Jesus, I call you to maturity today. To identify false teachers. To use the law well. To know what is lawless and grow in that. And to rejoice in this gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.